you know when they blow up those big balloons that you go up in in a basket and they you see it inflating on the ground it was like that happened to me but with the universe the universe was suddenly filled with a person i wasn't being spiritual i was drinking cup of tea just like that and suddenly god was and within a few weeks jesus was the son of god the profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile, here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Megan Cornwell. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry. Today I'm speaking with Damien Stain. Damien is the founder of the Catholic community Core et Lumen Christi, the heart and light of Christ which exists to equip Catholics to understand and operate in the charismatic gifts of the spirit. Damien himself has a healing ministry and has seen thousands physically restored through the power of prayer. Welcome to the show, Damien. Hi. Tell us about Corret Lumen Christi, um, the community that you lead. What is it and why was it founded? Well, we founded it because um, we looked in the scriptures uh, and we saw that the early Jesus lived a community life um, in a common purse. Uh, and uh, the early church lived the same thing. And we felt called to live the same thing. Um, revivals in the Catholic Church tend to be uh, around communities. The Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Benedictines. Not always, but very often around communities of people. Um, and uh, I had an experience where I went to France and I visited a monastic contemplative community called the Community of Jerusalem, which is seeking to provide a sort of a place of encounter, worship uh, for the people of God in the city. So in the past, people would go out into the desert to seek God and they're trying to create a, a desert place, a place of stillness, silence and all of that and worship in the city for people. Um, so I stayed with them and saw this incredible union with God. They have hermits that live in the top of a tower block, for example, who just pray for everybody on that estate um, and then come down from the tower block and then go and share in the public worship of the community. They are both men and women, monks and nuns, priests and so on. Uh, I met an ex-archbishop uh, who joined the order, who was just the doorman, you know, in the church. Uh, and it's absolutely beautiful, you know, in the evening they have um, evening prayer and people come from the office, you know, they put down their briefcase and then they join the monks and the nuns in, in the singing of the office, uh, you know, the evening prayer uh, in the church. And there's thousands of them, you know, it's really big. They're all gone all over the world now, this community. So I saw them, this beautiful experience of living on the mountain um, for the sake of the world. Uh, and... Um, and then I went and visited a charismatic community called the Emmanuel community. This is in the 80s. And they were a huge community. They're 12,000 in the community. They have 290 priests. Ten of their priests are now bishops. They've got 300 nuns. They're in countries all over the world. Um, so, you know, they're very charismatic. And somehow I felt called to bring a, a unity in a community between these two experiences. Something of this you know, Christian mystical dimension, uh, this deep life in the presence of God 
in worship and communion in prayer. And this active, apostolic, charismatic proclamation uh, ministry. And that's why the community is heart and light to try to describe those two elements uh, in the life of the community. So we, we founded it because we just felt called to live something uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit and God has helped us. It says on your website, Damien, that the community seeks to be a sign of contradiction through their lifestyle. Can you explain what you mean by this? I think in a materialistic society, we, we try to live simply. Uh, we don't live poorly with mostly families. And so we have responsibilities to our children and so forth. So we try to live responsibly. We're not a commune. Every, every family who lives, we have residential members and non-residential members. Um, and uh, the residential members have their own apartment with their own front door. Um, if you ask the kids, you know, oh, where do you live? They'll say, in my home. You know, they won't say, oh, I live in that commune down the road. Um, so although they're very aware of being in a community and they love that, none of the children want to leave, they love it. Um, and all our kids here, all our teenagers and all our um, young adults here are all on fire and all of them want to join the community. So it, we've got a big thing about the experience for the children being extremely positive and in, by God's grace, it's working. Um, so uh, we have this experience of living these two dimensions, uh, this contemplative thing with families and priests uh, in our life together. We live simply. So we try not to, we try to have, you know, simple wardrobe, you know, uh, you know we don't have posh cars we try to eat in a moderated way um and we try to be a, a sign of of something contrary to a materialistic way of approaching things we share all our money um uh, it's not because we think that absolutely everybody should share all their money like we share our money but but when when you go and do a conference somewhere and you get you know tens of thousands of pounds given to you in a donation you know, you bring it back, it just goes straight in the pot. And that helps you to remain extremely detached. Um, and that's great for us. That's great for our spiritual life. And also it gives validity and value to every member. So I've got a quite a high profile, but there are other members of the community who have a less high profile. And is what they're doing of less value than what I'm doing? No. So they get exactly the same allowance that I get which is extremely small <laughs> <laughs> and Damien your organization is accustomed to welcoming a lot of people um, for retreats and conferences and that's a big source of income for the community yeah. tell me a bit about how life has changed since lockdown so how are you adapting to your new this this brave new world well um, you know we do we would do a conference in the past you know normally we would have uh, one conference abroad in a country somewhere somewhere in the world every month, uh, and then we would have at least two at least two conferences in this country. So one would be run by our house in our center in the north, and one is run here uh, in this center in the south. Uh, and all our conferences are on a kind of donation basis. People pay a sort of five or ten pound booking fee, but of course that doesn't pay anything. But the rest of it they pay on on donations. So that's just so that anybody can come. And God has covered us, you know, even though we have huge expenses, God has covered us. Now, since the lockdown, what's happened is we've just increased the online ministry. Uh, 
So people used to make appointments for prophetic ministry because there's a quite a developed gift of prophecy and word of knowledge in the community. And so now people book online. And, um, uh, and so when we put up each couple of months, we put up the appointments for the next couple of months and they're full within two hours, you know, and people are having prophetic appointments from America, Europe, Africa, you know, I mean, all, all kinds of things all mm. over the place. Uh, and so what happens is they, they book an appointment. Uh, our guys are only told it's a man or a woman. Then they pray and see what God tells them. And God very often tells them, oh, this person's going to be wearing a blue shirt and red tie, you know, going to have glasses. Uh, they've got five kids in their family. They've, they, their job is this. Uh, sometimes their name is this. Um, their age is that. And then the things that God wants to speak into about their lives. So the words of knowledge are, you know, they know all those facts about themselves. Uh, but the fact that God is showing those to us enlarges their faith, dilates their faith so that when we then prophesy into their lives, um, they can receive it at a much deeper depth. The word of prophecy has much more creative power. Mm. So the prophetic ministry is just mushroomed mm. because people can now contact us from all that come for prophetic ministry all over the world. And what sort of questions are people, so when, when people book a, uh, what did you call it, a prophetic, prophetic appointment? ministry appointment, yeah. What sort of questions are they coming with? Because presumably there's something they want an answer for or a problem that they're, they're seeking God's advice on. What can you get without sort of going into too much detail, of course, yeah. personal, um, can you just share some of the sorts of things that people are, are coming to you with? I would say generally people are coming because they've heard that this is like sh shocking like wow i want to experience that i i don't think people are coming every time because like should i marry this man you know should i take this job you know should i discipline my kids like this you know it's it's not you know it's not really like that mostly mm. um but what seems to happen is that god god is god knows what are people's issues and so they make the appointment usually because they just want to have the experience of the supernatural impacting into them personally in this way. Uh, and then what happens is God opens up doors. So we're able to speak in, you're having this situation, that in your workplace. Um, <clears throat> and you've been thinking about doing this, but we feel, you know, we'd just like to offer to you. We think the Lord might be saying this. Um, or, you know, something along those lines. Or sometimes we just get words of affirmation and encouragement for a person. There's no direction at all. Um, sometimes there's something extremely specific. And do you think that there's any element of this that is sort of drawing from that rather egotistical kind of world that we live in where people people are seeking a word for themselves you know i kind of think i i sort of think to the bible and i think about how prophecy is in the bible where you have you know the sort of big prophets that go out and proclaim god's word or proclaim um impending doom um but but it seems to me that what you're doing here is quite different. Do do you see it at all as and could it be seen in, in any way as a negative sort of navel gazing type of Christianity? Anything you do could be seen like that if that's the disposition of the onlooker. Um, I, I would say in this in this situation you have to judge by the fruits. That's what Jesus says. Um, uh, People, what we have to remember is that people are surrounded left, right and center with everything that is telling them 
that their um, expectations about Christianity are absolutely unreasonable, unfounded and foolish. That the supernatural doesn't exist, that if you've got any intelligence at all, you'll be an atheist. Um, and what the heck do you think's going on, you bunch of morons? Um, and, uh, and so what happens is because the nature of the prophetic is so supernatural, so we see the things that people are wearing before they put them on. So we might pray that day, but we might have prayed the day before. You know, we, because we have, it's been, the whole integrity of the spiritual gifts has been a major thing for me in my journey. And uh, so we have really pressed in for this. We've really sought for something that's got reality in it. Um, and uh, and I think that it's, it's a, there's a kind of tradition in the Catholic tradition of uh, saints having these kinds of gifts and people would go to them and sometimes they would prophesy to them. Um, and so I, I'm not really knocking people. People out there have got such an onslaught. When I, was when I was growing up, you know, if you wanted pornography, you had to go and embarrass yourself by buying it off the top shelf in WH Smith's. And then you saw pictures. Now you press one button and you can see group sex with animals. You know, I mean, the assault that people are under now, God sees that. And in Catholic theology, it says where sin is, grace abounds all the more. Mm. So God sees the age that we're in. He sees the need of people and he's increasing the power of spiritual gifts across the board um, because he knows the threat that people are under and people need more help now. Mm. You know, if you're if I'm running a 20 yard sprint, I don't need much help. If I'm running a five mile <laughs> run, I, I need more and, and people are climbing a, a rock face at the moment as far as their faith is concerned. It's not a stroll up the hill with yeah. everybody else walking in the same direction. They're climbing a rock face with hail falling against them. And so they need stronger ropes and they need some help. Mm. And I think that God is just being merciful to people, really. As someone with a healing ministry, what has it been like for you to see the full force of COVID-19 on people's bodies and minds? Okay, well, just to clarify, I don't say I have a healing ministry. I, I have a ministry of proclamation with signs. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, that's the call I have. It's about preaching with signs. So to answer your question, what do I feel about, about this situation? And the sickness? Well, very interesting thing. Um, uh, there, there were kind of two, two examples of response to this which I would say were sort of classically charismatic and classically Catholic. Now, the classically Catholic one is a bit of a misrepresentation, and perhaps some Pentecostals and Charismatics would tell, say that the first one is also a misrepresentation, oversimplification of, of the Charismatic position. But you, you, what we saw when this started was kind of two major kind of approaches. One was we've got to stand against this with faith, and if we have enough faith, we're just going to shut it down. We can block it. We can keep it at bay. You know, and that's one. And, you know, I've, I fight in faith for things. I understand that dynamic very well. Um, and then the Catholic thing has been, for a lot of Catholics, would have been, listen, work with people. Be prepared to suffer in amongst the people. And if you suffer, offer your sufferings up with the sufferings of Christ. You know, like St. Paul says, I complete my body 
you know, that which is lacking, a shocking sentence, that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, right? Okay, so I understand people don't might think I'm teaching something that I'm not teaching, okay, but uh, everything's, everything's sufficient in the cross of Christ, but you understand what Paul means. Um, and uh, so you have these two kind of dynamics. Uh, I, I think that there is an, another, which is the experience of the ark, Noah. Uh, it's not... Noah wasn't given the faith to convert the people. He was neither given the faith to stop the flood. Uh, he wasn't given faith over the elements like Moses, and he wasn't given the faith to convert the city like Jonah. Okay, he was called in faith into, to build an ark and to retreat. Um, and uh, so I don't think it's as simple as just stop it or suffer it. Um, and I think... You know, people say, well, if I have if we have enough faith, we can stop it. Well, that that's to assume something. That's to assume that God is going to give you that faith. You can't do faith. Faith's a gift. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we exercise faith to the degree that he is through his spirit exercising that in us. And I can't force him to give me more faith than he determines to give me at a certain situation, in a certain situation. And Noah couldn't determine God to give him the faith to stop the rain. Um, so, so I think that this, this thing about we, I, I can decide that if I have to do enough prayer, enough fasting, God must give me enough faith to get the objective that I want. That's, if you don't mind me saying so, that's like a works gospel. If I work hard enough at my faith, I can make God do things. Okay, so I, I don't sympathize with that taken to an extreme. Uh, I do think that people of faith have a responsibility to exercise their faith in these situations. But I don't think that the conclusions can be predicted absolutely. Okay, so that's the first thing. As far as suffering in faith... A very interesting thing happened at the beginning of the third century uh, um, in Europe. There was a huge plague and uh, there were saints, Christian saints, who were going into cities and stopping the plague. Okay. And healing vast numbers of people. At the same time, in other parts of the empire, Christian communities decided uh, when everybody was fleeing, leaving their dying, not even burying their children, their wives, the pagans were fleeing. Um, Christians, many Christian communities decided to stay, nurse the sick, try to bring people back to health as much as possible. And many, many, many of the Christians died. Many of them died. Now, what's really, really interesting about that is that many historians say that was the turning point in the consciousness of the European of the empire in which people shifted from, this is a group of people who cast out devils and nobody can cast out and heal the sick and love each other to, this is a group of people who are willing to die for us who did nothing but offend them. <laughs> so in the mystery of God's, the economy that God is working out of salvation of the whole world, Sometimes it's, it's not how we think. So some have the faith to halt the sickness. Some have the faith to die for those who are 
sick. Others have the faith to flee. But, but all of this is to be done in faith, mm. not fear. I, I've seen people trying to confront Corona with terrific fear. And then other people working with the sick who've got Corona with faith. Like, so who's got more faith there? So it's not so simple. These questions are not so simple. Um, all of us are called to engage with faith and faith working through love, uh, according to the grace that God has given us, that we might be, you know, a witness, a witness of love. So that, that would be my long answer to your short question. <laughs> and in terms of the role of God in what's been going on, Damien, you know, as looking, you know, we talked a bit about people's different viewpoints. And I think there's there's real division on this question as well but some people see this as god's judgment other people see it as you know a work of evil um what what where do you fit where, where in your sense where is this sickness come from okay um the origins of it sickness is always the result of the fall god doesn't make people sick like god god sickness is an evil that's that's a basic teaching um, sickness is an evil now god can allow things for his greater purposes and we see that in the bible in figures like job uh, and even you know uh, paul who could raise the dead had to couldn't heal timothy's problem with his stomach you know so there's a mystery there that there, some answers are needed there um uh and uh, so my take would be this all sickness is the result of the fall. What happens as our sin accumulates, we get to a point where the numbers of people who are rejecting God gets to a kind of critical mass, at least at one level. And what happens is we kind of shut ourselves in with our sin. We've so determinedly sought to shut God out that we shut God in with our sin. We shut ourselves in with our sin. And, and we, as it were, choose to block out God's influence. And then you have situations like this arising, where, um, where when, you, when that happens, all the disorders of the fall start to accelerate. Sin among the population starts to accelerate at a faster and faster rate. Um, the effects of sin, disorder, chaos, um, all of that in society, society starts to fracture in, in, on its weak points. Um, uh, and sickness can increase. Uh, and so I think in this situation, this is a result of kind of corporate sin, across the world and uh, of course there there might be you know if this was developed in a lab like some scientists are saying of course some individuals have much greater culpability for that but the fact that the whole thing has happened i see as a consequence of sin i think that it's it's not god i don't see it that god is deciding to send sickness no, this is a consequence of our sin. And in that sense, it is a judgment in the sense that it uncovers where we are. Mm -hmm. if, I put an, if I put an orange in the scales, I don't make it weigh half a pound. It weighs half a pound. 
and we are in this place in relationship to god and the consequences of that are these kinds of things mm -hmm. so that's how i would explain it mm -hmm. so i guess that raises the question for me as to why christians are getting sick so I felt really, really ill with coronavirus, very, very ill. And I guess one of my questions was, why? <laughs> why me, you know? Because you're part of the human race. You know, why do you die? Why do Christians die? Mm. God, did, Jesus didn't come to make us indestructible. We, we know, the time when we are going to have victory over all sickness, th this assumption that we can just say, listen, we shouldn't be touched. Now, I do believe, obviously, and I know this because I've seen so many thousands of people healed, that nearly nobody knows how to exercise faith. Nearly nobody. So I, 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 we can come back to that later if you like. But um, listen, why do you die? Same as your neighbour. The, the reason is, is it's, it says in the scriptures that, um, that victory over death will be when the, when he, he, the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, then death will be destroyed. Not before. So we're all going to keep dying till then. Sorry to break it to you. And people die of something. So that means the causes of death, and at least in some measure, are going to be with us until that time. Um, so uh, I, I think that, you know, you, you, you got sick because you're part of the human race. You know, what, what I would say is if you got sick with faith, if you got sick with faith, you can you turn your sickness as an intercession. Live it with faith. Live it in praise. And then your sickness takes ground from the enemy. Mm -hmm. That's what I certainly tried to do. Um... Good for you. <laughs> I won't I won't go into all the details, but God really did deliver me from it all. Um, and then I, I shared my story. So hopefully it encouraged others. But if uh, you'd come to me, I would have prayed for your healing. <laughs> I didn't know about you then, Damien. Yeah, no, no, know. it's fine. I'm not saying that I don't I wouldn't pray for people's healing. I've prayed for people's healing. Yeah. I was running a healing service last night on Sunday night with thousands of people from all over the world, from 30 countries, praying for their healing and seeing them healed. So it's not that I'm saying, listen, just take it, take it lying down. Our assumption is we pray for healing. We assume God wants to heal. If he, if he doesn't heal and we have done the best that we can, then God may be giving grace for another way of responding. Mm. And have you seen people, per, have you personally been, been praying for people with coronavirus that you have seen healed? Not, not personally. M my wife, <laughs> listen, I, I've seen... And countless, literally, I can't count the numbers of people who've been healed of cancer. But five years ago, my wife had cancer. She still has to take tablets, which make her immune system low. So mm -hmm. I can't responsibly go. I, now, there are Christian figures who have much greater faith than me who go into these situations, just don't get sick. They do exist. You know, we've had Catholic saints. There's been Pente great Pentecostal men I, I know of who have that kind of faith. They go into a plague situation the plague can't touch them. It's just a very special grace. Maybe Jesus wants all Christians to be like that. I don't know. I'm open. I'd like that if that was the case. Uh, but because I'm not assured of that faith in my own life, 
I don't feel I'd have to have a very clear call from God to put myself in a situation that would endanger my wife's life. Um, so I haven't done that directly, but I'm praying for thousands of people online. Mm. And have you had any feedback from them about healings specifically around Corona? Uh, not specifically around. Well, people tell you the problem is when people tell you you prayed for them and they're better with the corona thing it's, it's very difficult to say was it really my prayers were you getting better anyway um <laughs> you know d did i give you a leg up but your body was all also contributing you know we're not in a position to get any proofs about that so i i honestly i, I couldn't really say we have to be honest you know i'll be honest about the numbers later you won't believe me but uh, i am i have many faults but i don't tell lies um <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you, you know, I went to, to Poland a few months back. When was that? February. There was a woman there has this disease. I can't remember what it's called, where your parts of your lungs are destroyed. And you even to walk quickly for her, she would go blue and could faint. Was it like a cystic uh, fibrosis or something like no, that? No, not, not that. But if, if there's a guy in the house who's with me, he's a clinician and he, he uh, explained it to me. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and I prayed for her in front of the whole crowd and instantaneously she, her lungs were created. She ran up and down 50 steps, really steep steps up and down, ran all around, all around like this. She was completely, totally instantaneously healed. Her lungs were instantly recreated. So these things are possible. And this is why we're praying for people because we've seen a lot of people with lung issues in the past that you you can't fake that 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 woman would have collapsed so you know that's a, something i can tell you that's a genuine miracle i saw with my eyes you know just before the shutdown um so we pray for people but we can't tell you results that i would feel were convincing enough on that point no do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the uk church today premier christianity magazine is for you the UK's leading Christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with Christian leaders, in-depth reporting, reviews, columnists and loads more. And best of all, you can try it for free. Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95, completely free of charge. Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Damien, on the profile, we like to ask guests about their early life and their journey to faith. Uh, and I understand you've got quite an interesting story uh -huh. about how you became a Christian. Could you share a little bit about that with us? Well, I, I was a very devout Christian as a little kid. My dad worked full time for the church. Um, he was a layman, but our house was full of people he brought to Christ. And I was growing up young people. He had a you know, great ministry like that. And they did a lot of stuff to do with the social gospel, you know, helping the poor, you know, sorting or doing all that kind of thing. Uh, looking after old people. I remember us having tramps staying in our house and using our bath, you know, and the bath being black afterwards, you know, all that, that kind of, you know, absolutely authentic, genuine Christian loving. And, um, but when I kind of got into my teens, I kind of just lost it really. I just kind of lost it. And, and I got very big into this kind of heavy metal scene thing you know, I, I grew my hair. I went to 50 concerts in one year. I got on stage with ACDC, you know, it was, that was all my kind of Led Zeppelin were, you know, all that, you know, 
I don't, what is it with these bands? They never go away, do they, these bands? Anyway, um, so I, I got into that whole scene. And for me, for me, it became like a religion. So I, I would, you know, I mean, I was going to concerts as often most people go to church. Um, and I, I had hundreds of albums. My room was like a shrine. You know, I had the drumstick from Van Halen and the plectrum from Tony Iommi and Black Sabbath and the this from that, posters everywhere, all that. And, uh, and that just ended up defining my whole life. You know, I was living immorally. Um, uh, I, I was, you know, aggressive individual. I was, you know, very, just living a really, you know, sinful life. I was saved from, all my friends were into drugs. All my friends were into drugs. Um, and I, but I was saved from drugs. I'm a really like <laughs> all or nothing kind of person. Right. And, um, and I remember on the way to a black Sabbath concert, I met a uh, heroin junkie in Charing Cross station. And honestly, he was Jesus to me. Then he came to me. I, I mean, I'm an atheist. I, I'm an, a, I'm an experiential atheist by now. I would like to believe in God. I still respected my parents. They were brilliant human beings, but, it was, I had an experience. Um, this is very difficult to explain because if you haven't experienced it, you can't know what I'm talking about. People talk about having a personal experience of Jesus. I had a personal experience of the universe being a void. God was not. It wasn't, I don't like the idea or I want to get off with my girlfriend, so I want to chuck in Christian morals. It wasn't that. God was, the, the, the universe was empty. I experience the emptiness of the universe. And that's a very strange thing. If you haven't actually experienced that, it, it, you can't explain it. Because it's an experience that you feel does reach much beyond yourself, out into every reality. Uh, and I met this junkie, and, uh, and he was, oh, like skeletal. And uh, we were talking, and he said to me, you know, are, are, you, are you doing drugs? And all my mates were nodding, and I was you know, thinking probably going to, you know, and uh, he said, he begged me, he begged me, he said, listen, look at my arms. He pulled his sleeves up, showed me his arms. They were green with like holes all the way up them. He said, I'm injecting between my toes. He said, don't start. Don't even start on cannabis. This is where you're going to end up like this. And I don't know what happened, but his word was like a prophetic word. It went into me and it just shut the drugstore inside me and it didn't matter when i was sitting in a room everybody was stoned out of their brains i could barely see the faces of my friends there was so much cannabis smoke in the room and i just didn't touch it i mean i was getting it free of course but um <laughs> you know I, didn't, I just something inside me there shut and i think what it was was god just knew that that's a line i couldn't cross because if i had a year later two years later i'd have been found dead in a ditch somewhere um, and also my parents were praying in a way that none of my friends' parents were praying. So I was on this kind of spiritual bungee that was just, stop even though I was fighting with all my strength to pull against it, there was something just holding me from going into a realm in which I would have destroyed myself, undoubtedly. Mm -hmm. um, so then I, I, I then reaped the harvest of a miserably selfish egotistical and sinful life which was i was just angry and annoyed with everything um and i remember i was sitting watching a tv program uh and this program about 
Trappist monks comes on, the, one, the ones that never speak because they're always in internal worship. And I looked at their faces and I just thought, I got to have some of that. I, I just got to have some of that. I couldn't be in a room by myself. I was so tense, stressed, couldn't have any silence anywhere in my day. Um, and so I thought, of who do I know who's like that? And I, I knew this guy who was in the Catholic parish who went to this funny thing my parents went to. This, it was some sort of group. I didn't know what they were doing, you know. Uh, I was just glad they were out one more night so I could have sex with my girlfriend in the sitting room, you know. I mean, that's, you know, so I'm sorry to be crude, but, you know, it was that crass. Um, and um, anyway, so I was at home because I, I, if I stayed at home, I knew I would have more money for drinking concerts music and everything else i was doing um uh, and my parents because they've done a lot of work with young people i was about 18 they just handled me brilliantly they didn't do this closing it all down overreacting you know they they just prayed exercised a lot of faith they were just there in the background willing to talk about anything you know all of that uh they were very 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 smart um and uh uh and so I, I, I remember talking to, to my parents and, and, uh, uh, and they said, uh, well, you know, if you want some peace, why don't, why don't you go along to the group? And so I went up, you know, I've got 70 patches on my jeans. I've got an Afghan coat that smells like, you, you know, a dead goat, you know, and, um, you know, I haven't washed my clothes for four or five months I'm, you know, this, I'm something like something out of the gutter. I got a girlfriend too at the time. It's terrible. Um, and uh, so I, I went into this prayer group, little prayer group, and it was all mostly up, well, nearly all old ladies. And they're all sitting in a circle with a candle in the middle. And I'm like this, you know, I'm drinking with bikers, you know, or all we carrying weapons, you know, and it's like, these are my friends. Uh, and um, so I, I go into this group and I'm just looking around thinking, what the? Well, I won't tell you what I thought, but anyway. And uh, so I sat down and I said, how do you get this piece then? And this this lovely lady with this kind of blue rinse, you know, and plastic fur coat, you know, fake fur coat, turned to me and said, you pray to receive the Holy Spirit, dear. And I thought, Holy Spirit, you know, there's a load of rubbish. You know, I, I thought what had happened was, like going to the gym, you, you lift weights, you get muscles. That these guys had just found some mechanism where they said these sort of magic words and then you get this peace. So I thought it's like doing yoga. I thought, you know, I just like kind of Christian, Catholic version of kind of yoga. You go and you do these funny things. You have to put up with being stupid for an hour and then you kind of feel, yeah, man, peace. And, you know, oh yeah, I'm cool. You know, so, so I sat there and I, you know, I tried saying, you know, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. And I fell asleep. And then I woke up 20 minutes later, come Holy Spirit. And then the music started. And honestly, if you think Black Sabbath is diabolical music, you did not hear the, the music in that prayer meeting. It was unbelievably terrible, atrocious. Um, however, <laughs> so something was happening to me. I went, I didn't come for three weeks. Then I kind of came back and then I couldn't go. And then I came back. And then I just had this experience. I, I remember where I was standing. I was holding a cup of tea and suddenly the u the universe went like a if you you know when they blow up those big balloons that you go up in in a basket and they you see it inflating on the ground it was like that happened to me but with the universe the universe was suddenly filled with a person 
I wasn't being spiritual. I was drinking cup of tea. Just like that. And suddenly God was. And within a few weeks, Jesus was the son of God. And then I kind of, well, I did what I do in my life. I just kind of just burnt all my boats, went crazy for Jesus. I sold all my possessions. I wanted to be the second St. Francis of Assisi. You know, I gave away my bed. I'm sleeping on the floor. You know, I'm working in the hospital for nothing with the people who are dying. You know, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a canonized saint of the Catholic Church. You know, just a touch of arrogance in there. Um, and, but I was radically drunkly in love with Jesus. People used to say to me, it's like you're drunk. It's like you're drunk. And, um, and then I had this massive, massive turnaround. But even though all that happened and I cut off from my, I felt God telling me, you just got to cut them all off because you're not strong enough to kind of bring them into the kingdom. So I cut off from all my friends. I stopped going out with my girlfriend. Um, you know, I just, it, there was no young people in that group, you know? Um, so my parents became my best friends, you know, and they were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and, uh, and then I just learned to pray you know, I tried to live for Jesus, but I felt all along there was a bit of a block. Uh, and then as I grew closer to the Lord, this block, I could feel this block actually worse and worse. Uh, and, and it's a bit like, you know, when you get close to the Lord, things that you tolerated in your life, sins you tolerated in your life when you were just converted, they become more and more significant. And you realize, listen, there's just no place for that. They, 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 they're sticking out like a bigger and bigger sore thumb in your life. And this is what it was. I felt there was something inside me. And there was this sort of block. So I went to see this man who had this gift of healing. And he prayed over me. And I had the most shocking experience of my life. Suddenly, I'm roaring. I, I'm not doing this. You have to understand. I'm not doing this. So I've never seen this. I haven't even seen this on the movies. And I'm in his private room. He's praying of me. Suddenly, I'm roaring. I'm flaying around the floor. He's chasing me around the floor with a crucifix. When he puts the holy water on me, I'm feeling roaring fire burning through my skin. And I'm speaking with voices out of my mouth that aren't mine. So you can imagine that was a slight shock that I was not prepared for. So I had this incredible experience of the power and the victory of Christ. And I went to see this guy several times. And, um, and I experienced in me what the demons experience confronted with the power of the word of God, the name of Jesus, the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, and, you know, the blessing of the church through the holy water. And, um, and it was very, very interesting. <laughs> interesting is not really the word. I, I re it, was, it was funny, though, because in many of the instances, I felt like I was standing outside of myself watching it happen to another person. So I went through all of this. And what that did for me was, if you can imagine your heart is three quarters full of mud, and God is trying to fill your heart with the living water of his love. And what's happening is your capacity is very, very restricted because you're demonized. Because you're demonized. And, um, and that was because of all the demonic stuff that was deeply, deeply entrenched and infecting the music scene that I was into. I'm not saying everybody who's listened to heavy metal is demonized. I'm not saying that. But for me, it was like being part of a cult. It was different. 
you know i gave my heart soul life body to that okay i'm also very spiritually sensitive so i was particularly vulnerable uh, now that turned to my advantage later when i became a christian but in that situation that's what, i think that's why a lot of musicians get so screwed up and artists is because they are very sensitive often to the spiritual realm mm -hmm. so i went through all of that i had an incredible experience like that and then i started living this life in jesus that was on a completely different level because the love the fire the light the peace the joy the anointing now my heart was empty of the mud or almost totally you know well empty of demons at least uh, empty of the, all this stuff and so the the light had filled me and i just kind of everything changed then my ministry totally changed i started ministering to people with power and and god started doing amazing things was that when you realized you had a gift of healing um i had seen healings before that <laughs> would you believe um i had seen some healings before that and uh and people really healed people i'd converted quite a lot of people you know uh, god was using me um, but, uh, but everything changed after that. And, uh, I, I want to give credit to, uh, the man who helped me. Miles Dempsey was his, was his name. He was a very, very holy man. He's died now. Uh, his discernment of spirits was shocking in that ministry time. I would feel the characteristic of the spirit deep in me, no manifestation. One, two, he'd know its name. You know, this would happen over and over and over. His gift of discernment. I've never seen that gift. The strong are we, Damien, sorry, are we talking about evil spirits here? Or evil spirits, yeah. Okay. So, so I give great credit to him. I saw a great gift of healing through deliverance in his life. I'd read the book of a man called uh, Francis McNutt, who also influenced John Wimber and many other of his generation in the 70s and the 80s. And then I went to a conference with John Wimber and I saw power that I'd never experienced before. And Wimber had a huge impact on HDB, you know, and many of those other Anglican churches and many other churches. New Frontiers were greatly impacted by John Wimber, um, Pioneer churches, a lot of other churches. And, um, and that completely changed my vision for a power ministry of the kind uh, that he ministered in. And, and we started seeing a lot of healing happening. We started getting invited to go and train people in healing. Um, and uh and then i wrote a conference for catholics to empower them in the spiritual gifts and then i've now taken that all over the world i get you know i've been invited everywhere pretty much all continents you shared uh, a story earlier about a lady who was healed can you share a few more stories from from uh, your experiences of people being healed through the power of prayer oh gee whiz um so hmm. okay so uh, what I'll do is I'll share some some testimonies of healings in the Western world. If I if I share with you about Africa, as I said to you when we were talking before, anybody can heal the sick in Africa. You know, if if you go to I, I went to to Argentina, I prayed for the sick. Ninety five percent of the sick were healed. Why do you think it is? Faith. It's expectant faith, and also people know their need. There's no healthcare. You know. Um, so you go to Africa, it's, it's, it's similar like that, you know. Um, so you uh, find that fewer people are healed when you minister in the West? In the West, less people are healed, but we still see shockingly great things. Um, so, I mean, you know, we have seen, we were seeing lots and lot, we've seen lots of people's tumours vanish, you know, 
tumors, you know, as big as your fist disappear instantaneously. Um, people with tumors throughout the whole body disappear, you know, totally blind eyes, totally deaf ears. Um, uh, you know, and, and in large numbers, people being healed. So, you know, I would say 10 years ago, we were seeing 80 to 100 people healed out of a thousand. If you had a thousand at conference, you would see 80 to 100 healed. And that's mostly through the word of command. So I just say to people, if you've got this sickness, stand up. And then I pray a prayer and I just command the eyes to see. And then all the testimonies come up. And I then do the same with the lame or with the deaf. I just command over the crowd. I learned that from Smith Wigglesworth. I read that in Smith Wigglesworth. You could do that. <laughs> so all credit to Wigglesworth. He helped me there. Um, uh, I mean, that started because I was in Africa and I had half an hour to minister to 7,000 people and the team wasn't big enough. So I, I read Wigglesworth. So I just did that. And thousands of people were healed running with their sticks, crutches. And, and I thought, oh, that works. So I'll use that again. So, so most of the healings have been through the word of command. Um, sometimes people, we see God tells us, oh, that man or somebody close to you, you've got this condition. Uh, and then we pray and they're healed. And God might give us a whole lot of words of knowledge like that. That's very helpful because people see from, they see the sick person sick, God identifying the sickness, the prayer, and then the person healed. If you do the word of command, people don't necessarily see the person getting out of the wheelchair because they're the other side of the congregation. Um, so, you know, we've seen, oh, incurable conditions, all kinds of incurable conditions. Uh, we had a woman who was dying of leukemia. Um, she came to the service. We prayed for incurable conditions. Uh, she felt nothing. Uh, she'd been tested. Uh, she'd had a lot of tests, but on Friday she'd had a test. Um, she came to the service on, on Saturday. Sunday, she went back into the hospital because her doctor had told her if there's any change, she meant negatively, uh, come back in and see us. She went back in on Sunday. The, the specialist did a, a, another blood test. And when they got the blood test back, uh, she got a call on Monday saying, you've got to come back to the hospital because the blood test didn't work because it says that you're better. Uh, in fact, it says that you're a different blood type. So it's all gone wrong. It's been a mix up in the lab. So we've got the we've got the medical documents for this um and um so she went back in on the monday they did more tests you're the wrong blood type still um so they said now if you know one thing about a hospital knows about a leukemia sufferer it's their name and their blood type because you've got all these tests rigorous tests um now you can change your blood type if you have a bone marrow transplant you take on the blood type of your donor but she was tested on the friday and tested on the Sunday. There's no sign of any change in her body that she's not had time for the, for the process or the rest of it. Um, and so she had test after test. They then had to send the blood to other hospitals because they thought it was a problem with their lab and the other hospitals reported back. She now, uh, she then, the, the hospital had to do a major interview with her with a, uh, a, a medical practitioner and a legal person for the hospital. And they had to write a document, which we have a copy of, which says on the document, her original blood type, it says that she's been healed and there's no medical explanation for her healing and her new blood type. Wow. So, you know, God can like do any, I mean, God's just showing off when he does things like that. Why didn't he just heal, heal the leukemia? You know, I enjoy it though. It's lovely. 
you know so so we've seen people with every kind of thing you imagine blind deaf dumb um skin conditions that people have had from birth on many parts of their body they come in the next morning they're as clean as a baby um huge tumors disappearing everything you can mention liver kidney infertility you know I watched a video of one of your healing services, Damien, and um, it was it was in which you had a word about mo mobility. And there were there were two women that responded, one who held a phone up with her daughter who was on the other end, who was healed. And another woman who in the video you don't go back to. So I, I just assumed perhaps she wasn't healed on that occasion. Um, I don't know which video you're referring to, so I can't help you. Sorry. It's it, it, it was one of your American um, services. I'm not I'm not sure exactly exactly where but but that was basically what happened all right and my yeah. question is is it always god's intention to heal uh and if so why do some people not receive healing okay it's always god's intention to answer prayer okay um is it always god's intention to heal in the end in the end you will have a glorified body with no sickness in the end when that end is it's difficult to, you know, our, some people get that in this life. They just get, they just don't get sick. We have from all the denominations, we see examples of that people sickness just can't attach to them somehow. We don't know why, but people have a particular kind of faith and that's a gift. You can't just dial that up. Okay. That's a gift. Um, and would I love everybody in the world to have that gift? Yes. Would I have liked my wife to have that gift five years ago when she had cancer? Yeah, of course. You know, I got allergies for goodness sake. I've been used to heal hundreds of people with allergies, probably. I don't know if it's hundreds, many people with allergies. Um, uh, some people, so there are things that, that contribute. You, you have to accept it in the scripture. Unbelief in certain situations is a, a prevention of healing. Jesus says that about in his own town. He, could, he couldn't do any miracle there, only heal a few people because of their lack of faith. And he was astonished at their lack of faith. So we do have a responsibility to pray for the increase of our faith. And the catechism of the Catholic Church says we must beg, if you're a Catholic, we must beg the Lord to increase our faith. We have a personal responsibility. And the minister has a personal responsibility. It's no good me saying you didn't get healed because of your lack of faith to the congregation. It might be my lack of faith. And only actually God knows for sure whose lack of faith was the cause of the lack of that healing in that situation. So sometimes it's lack of faith. Um, and that is, that is very unpolitically correct to talk about that because people don't want to take responsibility. So it's not my fault. You know, if God was nice, he'd heal me or he'd just give me faith. It's sorry. You know, do you become more loving by just waking up one morning being, you know, loving at a saintly level? No, no, you work at it, you pray for it, you fall, you get up again. You know, faith is, is a similar thing. Um, so we have to endure in faith. We have to exercise faith. Exercise it. You want to exercise, you want bigger muscles, you have to exercise. Faith grows with exercise. That's our experience. And if you're faithful in little, faithful. If you're full of faith at a little level, then God will enable you to be faithful with greater things. We see that. The people, if they're faithful in small something small you know like the talents then god entrusts them with much more and if you're faithful if you exercise your faith to the measure of which you presently have it 
and you cry out for more. God seeing your faithful exercise of that faith will answer your cry for more faith. And that's been our journey. Um, um, but it is faith working through love, not faith just for itself or to make me look good or build just build up my empire. You know, it's not that. Um, so faith is one thing. The other thing is timing. You know, Lazarus was sick. Jesus, there was no question of Jesus' love for him. And there was faith. We see Jesus says to Martha, um, did I not say to you, if you only have faith, you will see the glory of God. So she had that faith to exercise. And she said, come to him. He's sick. We have faith. You're going to heal him. But there was a timing issue there. God wanted to do something else. So there was a timing issue. And so they, Jesus, uh, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die because he was going to achieve something greater. So sometimes people don't get healed because there's a timing issue. And we see that sometimes people come to our services one year, they don't get healed. They come back the next year and they do get healed. Um, it's, it's, this is a mystery. It's, this is not an easily explainable science. Okay. Uh, the other thing is sometimes people's sin is a block. There's, there's sin in people's lives and they need to, they do need to repent. Um, in some schools of thought, uh, the kind of people have made so many hoops for people to jump through before they get their physical healing. Oh no, you can't get physically healed unless you've forgiven everybody, unless you've got no sin in your life, unless you've perfectly given your life to Jesus, unless you do this, unless you do that, unless you do the other. I just don't see that in the ministry of Jesus and the ministry in the Bible for miracles. Um, it seems to me that many of those things can help. And with some people, they're necessary. But, but what might be true for some people shouldn't be always made a law for everybody. So I think there are those three reasons. And then there's another category, which is we don't know why. We don't know why. I don't think Paul knew why he couldn't heal Timothy. I don't think he knew. And I think that there are times when we just don't know and we just have to say, God, we're going to keep pressing on for more. We don't know you are God. Damien, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Darren Brown. Yes. Um, so he is a magician, a, a British magici magician. And um, a couple of years ago, he recreated a Christian healing service in one of his shows. It was quite oh, oh, yeah, of a type. <laughs> Did you see it? I did. What a load of rubbish. Yeah. Okay. So what a load of unconvincing rubbish. <laughs> dear. Oh dear. That God, for goodness sake, Pe people who are in the fourth division of ministry in my community wouldn't run a service that was as unconvincing as that. That was just ridiculous. You know, so, you know, he, he does a thing where he uses a whole lot of human techniques to give people a human physiological response and then tells them it wasn't God. In the first case, you can produce nearly any uh, emotional and physiological reaction with certain mood changes. You do the music, do the rest of it. Okay, right. That's the, on, on the one hand, that's a very unscientific way of doing it. I, I, was, I, I was ashamed of him for that. <laughs> okay. Second, I was trying to respect his integrity, but sorry, at the end of that, I just thought, no, nah, sorry, it's just not good enough. Um, so, you know, you want to come with me on a healing service and see somebody who has had a stroke 
two years later, can't walk, then run. The brain cells aren't there. You, you try and produce that in your healing service, Darren Brown. I think you'll have something to say. When you open a blind eye in, a he, in your faked healing service, I'll start listening to you taking you seriously. Seriously? I think, there, I think there was one person that was short-sighted that believed they were no longer short-sighted because that, that one particularly struck me because I am short-sighted myself. Thought they were, sh thought, okay, there you go. Thought they were short-sighted. You wouldn't even get through our sifting process with that kind of testimony. You wouldn't get anywhere near the stage with, I thought I was short-sighted. Sorry. No, it's absolutely pathetic. You know, there is such a thing as placebo. We know placebo is a reality. Mm. We know that some people at our services, some of their experience is going to have some, a placebo uh, component. Okay. And we try as hard as we can to, to deal with that. Uh, Channel 4 did a program, I don't know, 10 years ago, in which a friend of mine, a priest friend of mine, was on the program. And, uh, and he said that they had found that placebo can affect issues to do with pain, fatigue, uh, some rash things on the skin, uh, and in extreme circumstances, sometimes things to do with tumours, okay? Nothing to do with blindness, deafness, you know, recreative miracles of any of those kinds. None, nothing to do with that. And, and so th there's, just, there's just nothing uh, in what he was presenting there that argues against what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Good luck, Darren Brown. You've still got a lot of work to do, mate. Damien, another gift of the spirit that you operate in is the prophetic gift. Can you tell me about the specific ways that God has been speaking to you uh, and how this has helped you to bring other people to faith? Okay, uh, so this is another kind of minefield. Uh, uh, praise the Lord, brilliant, beautiful and brilliant, you know, gifts. Um, how can I address this? Uh, we might need to put a caveat on the end of this. Okay. So in the scriptures, we see that God gives, prophecy operates at many, many levels. And, you know, it begins with kind of, a prophecy isn't just, I'm going to prophesy to you now. You know, what happened at Pentecost was the outpouring of the spirit of prophecy. That's what Paul says. He says, uh, Peter says, he says, this is, this is what Joel prophesied. And what did Joel prophesy? Joel prophesied the outpouring of the spirit for what? That Paul And Peter adds to the quote of, of Joel. He adds another line on the end that they may prophesy joel says at the beginning that your sons and your daughters will see dreams they prophesy blah 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 uh, but at the end he doesn't say and they will prophesy but peter in acts adds that sentence at the end and they will prophesy so the in one sense the essential gift of pentecost the outpouring of the spirit is the gift to speak in an inspired way that changes uh, lives changes planet earth changes the cosmos actually um so uh, prophecies st paul says you can all prophesy so it, it's my conviction that prophecy is a gift that's available to every member of the church because every member of the church is called to speak in the power of the spirit and that might be in evangelization that might be in anointed teaching that might be in anointed 
you know, ministry, words of knowledge, words of consolation, you know, uh, prophesying the future, you know, in, in a he healing ministry, all kinds of different ways, you know, talking to my, my child about Jesus when they're three. Um, it could be in any area like that. So if you're talking, but if you're talking about the, what we regard as the ministry of prophecy or the gift of prophecy, uh, what we've seen is that God is pouring out in the early kind of charismatic renewal, pe people in all the, in most of the streams, I would say, I can't really talk about early Pentecostalism, but I would say in the historic churches, most people's experience of prophecy was getting a meaningful word for somebody else, but there wasn't any of the knowledge content. So what we, it is what we would call inspirational prophecy, not revelational prophecy. Okay. Uh, I remember being really, really impressed when someone prayed over me and they just described the state of my mind. They didn't have any factual details, but I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, he knew how to pray exactly for my needs. That was in the 80s, you know. Um, but what we're seeing now is that God is giving to a lot more people. He's raising the bar. Same with the healing. Um, he's raising the bar and he's, he's giving people a lot more gifts in the uh, knowledge gifts and knowledge gifts uh, details. Uh, so I, I was explaining to you earlier that people make a, an appointment with us uh, online now, uh, or they used to come and have an appointment with us face to face. And my team would pray beforehand. They would be told it's a man or a woman. That's all you know. And then they would pray for information. See if God wanted to tell them about what the person's job was, what their gifting was, um, what they were, wh what they would be wearing when they arrive um you know de lots of details like that factual measurable details um uh and the reason for for seeking those things is not to look clever but that if you know like like when we pray at a conference you know we often pray before the conference lord show us who's sitting somewhere and i might see or one of my team might see oh there's a guy sitting in the third row uh, second seat in he's wearing a pink shirt blue jeans he's got a, a beard um, he's got three children uh, and his wife is sick <clears throat> now we write that down we send that to ourselves in an email before the event so it's got the date on it you turn up at the conference the guy's sitting there the guy dressed in those clothes with those issues is sitting there now, what happens with that is that's an instantaneous, witnessable miracle for everybody in that conference. Because even if somebody gets out of a wheelchair, somebody is saying, I wonder how bad they really were. I wonder if they're going to keep it. But what we found with the prophetic thing is because you've got the email and you get the person to read the date and read the facts in front of the congregation, unless you're so cynical you think the person's a plant okay if you think that that's what we're doing i can't help you all right but you know that is a massive sign and wonder to people not just to the individual but to others and what the word of knowledge does is it it dilates the heart it 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 explodes faith so the person's faith increases massively in an instant and they know that this is something supernatural. 
And then when you give them the word, God's word of love, comfort, guidance, encouragement, you know, edification, exhortation into their life, it can penetrate much, much more deeply within them. So it can become a creative, defining, liberating, healing word in their life in a way that if I was just to say to you, you know, Megan, God loves you. You'd say, oh, thank you. That's lovely. And even if I said it in my best charismatic voice, oh, Jesus loves you. You might be touched. But supposing I, I was to say to you, listen, I'm not having a word of knowledge for you. But supposing I was to say to you, oh, you know, your parents have been going through a lot at the moment. You know, your, your dad's been unwell uh, and it's been difficult for you to cope with. Uh, and you're, you're wearing black trousers at the moment, you know, and, and all of those things. And I can't see you. Uh, but Megan... God loves you and is with you. The words of knowledge about the other things completely open you up to be receptive for the God loves you in a completely different level. You know, so, so, and this is what we're doing when we're on the streets. Our teams go on the streets, they pray for the sick, they heal the, they heal the sick. Then the sick want to know Jesus. <coughs> it's the same thing. It, it, it ignites faith because I don't feel called to be a doctor. I feel called to bring people into a deep, living, freeing, liberating, glorifying uh, relationship with a living Jesus. Sadly, Damien, we've seen uh, various ministries over the years sort of crashing amid various scandals. So I'm thinking in particular of people like Jean Vanier, who, you know, whose incredible work with, with disabled people has been overshadowed by accusations of sexual misconduct. Yeah. Are you conscious of the temptations that threaten communities like yours? And, and if so, how do you safeguard against those? Yeah, it's very, very tragic. And listen, you know, if you're listening, careful, don't judge, lest you fall. Um, you know, I saw the thing with these people is whether they're Pentecostals, evangelicals, from the historic churches in the world, even, <coughs> and from the Catholic Church, Orthodox Church, any of the churches. Don't assume these people were, were, were bad all along. It's very easy to kind of write off a whole life, you know, and, and I, I just think, you know, uh, the, the, the problem for a lot of these guys is at some point, they didn't understand that they're as weak as the weakest other man. And why I'm with me, because of my background, <clears throat> because of where I've, I've been coming from, I wouldn't trust myself for five minutes alone with an attractive woman. Now, it's not because I'm a pervert, okay? It's just I know what this flesh is made of. I know better people than me have fallen in ways that have shocked others and themselves. And so from the beginning, I was just never, never, never going to be in that situation where this weak flesh I still bear could, could let me down. So I haven't seen a woman alone for 30 years in a ministry situation. And that's why I haven't fallen. <laughs> Because I've never trusted myself. I think the problem is, now listen, you know, I'm, I can't tell you what will happen tomorrow and the next day. I, I, you know, I just don't know. I could let everybody down. I really hope not. And by God's grace, I won't. But, but you know, I'm, 
I just understand I'm not to be trusted. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, we're not to be trusted. We, <laughs> it doesn't matter how holy you think you are. And the more holy you think you are, the less you're to be trusted. You know, if, if you think you're really something, just look out. It's knocking at the door. Uh, and, you know, it's been a, so tragic. Lives can, individuals can get up, but things can be lost. You know, pe people don't realize things can be lost sometimes for good. Like for always. You can still recover or whatever is your theology, your salvation, your place with God through repentance. But what about the people who watched you and saw you? You know, what about them? You know, and you can lose the privileges in your ministry forever if you fall in very, very grievous ways. You know, David, we all know the story of David's fall. Now he committed adultery and he murdered a guy and God forgave him. But there were consequences. The child died. And your enemies will now be forever at your gates. The very area of his anointing, that he was a warrior, that he was, a, he was victorious. Now this was going to be something, what he'd achieved all his life for Israel. Now he's, what the heck? Like, and I had to just keep telling myself those stories. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Do you think, do you think I've never had temptations? Listen, I just had to keep telling myself, don't get in that situation. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. God could restore you and God can restore. But let me tell you, my experience of restoration from a place of sin before my conversion was a long, long, painful journey. You know, God can restore. I want to say that God can restore and he can restore completely. And if God chooses to restore someone who's fallen in the most scandalous way to the heights of glory, that's God's business. And it's not for me or anybody else to say God can't do that. But my experience of seeing people is if you fall in a very serious manner, the journey back is very is often long and very painful. It's not worth it. Thanks, Damien. It's been a real pleasure speaking <laughs> with you today. We've covered some really broad ground and I appreciate the time that you've taken to, uh, to chat to me. So thanks. All right. Bless you.